With the Russian army putting on a show of force just north of Ukraine, President Biden spent an hour on the phone with Vladimir Putin. Thousands of troops, hundreds of tanks. And down that road is Kiev. It's pretty much a straight paved road all the way to the capital. Smoke bellows from the theater in Mariupol after it was hit by a bomb. Days before, a satellite image showed the Russian word for children, written in large white letters at both ends of the building. This is a dangerous moment. You've got a war going on. You've got 200,000 Russians there with their tanks. You've got a reinforced NATO that's right up against where the war is taking place. One missile that goes astray, I mean, look, one of those missiles hits Poland. President Biden has made very clear that it'll be considered an attack on NATO. And then you do have a world war on your hands. That's Leon Panetta, the former CIA director and secretary of defense. But I also have to say, yeah, it, it is a dangerous moment, but it's also a very pivotal moment in the 21st century. I think what happens in Ukraine what happens with Russia, what happens with Putin, is going to tell us a hell of a lot about what happens in the 21st century in terms of democracies versus autocracies. This is a moment that can really define whether we're going to be able to have some peace and prosperity in the 21st century or whether we're going to have continued conflict. The war in Ukraine will not be won or lost with missiles and tanks alone. Armed forces live or die by virtue of intelligence. They depend on it to know their enemies, to see them coming, to shape their strategies for battle, and to try and win the hearts and minds of friends and foes alike. This conflict has an undeclared combatant. The United States is fighting an invisible war with Russia an intelligence war. American intelligence, its abilities to anticipate and counter Putin's moves, to call out his lies, is an essential element in the fight for Ukraine. It has struck blows against Putin's dreams of empire, penetrated the Kremlin, stolen its war plans. As Russia prepared to invade Ukraine, the United States decided to make its invisible war visible. It exposed Putin's phony pretexts for attack, defused Russian disinformation, shaped the battlefield, and strengthened the will of the West. This is political warfare, the name we give to the ways in which a nation uses its power without sending in the Marines. Espionage, information operations, economic sanctions, and diplomacy are all part of that struggle. Now. After years of Russian attacks on the American body politic, the tide has turned. American political warfare is back in the battle of democracy against autocracy. We don't have a name for this conflict, but you might call it World War Z. After the letter emblazoned on Russian military vehicles invading Ukraine. Because Russians write the letter Z as three. 
it's going to be a long war, and like it or not, you're in it. I'm Tim Weiner, and this is Whirlwind. America, Russia, and Ukraine. Part 1. Until now, Russia has had the upper hand in 21st century political warfare. Putin used his spy services, the FSB and the SVR, his disinformation weapons of television and the internet, and his witting and unwitting agents of political influence in America, including the former president of the United States. He used lies and disinformation, false narratives, project his power and influence in the United States, in Europe, and especially in Ukraine. He isn't writing the narrative anymore. Two months ago, on February 17th, Secretary of State Tony Blinken warned the United Nations and a disbelieving world that Russia was ready to wage an all-out war in Ukraine. He explained in detail how Putin planned to lay the groundwork for that attack. First, Russia plans to manufacture a pretext for its attack. This could be a violent event that Russia will blame on Ukraine or an outrageous accusation that Russia will level against the Ukrainian government. We don't know exactly the form it will take. It could be a fabricated so-called terrorist bombing inside Russia, the invented discovery of a mass grave, a staged drone strike against civilians, or a fake, even a real attack using chemical weapons. The U.S. said Putin had positioned his commandos to carry out a false flag attack it could pin on Ukraine. The Russians had planned to use corpses and actors posing as mourners in a video made to invent a Ukrainian atrocity. What led to these remarkable disclosures? In August of last year, Kabul fell to the Taliban, and the 20-year war on terror launched by the United States on 9-11 was effectively over. U.S. spy agencies refocused on their two most powerful adversaries, Russia and China. And then, using espionage and electronic eavesdropping, they saw Putin preparing for war. The picture started becoming clear as early as last October, and in February, American intelligence decided to tell the world what it knew. This is not normal. The CIA is a secret agency, and it likes to keep things classified, preferably forever. But the world has changed. Beth Sanner knows about secrets. As a top American intelligence analyst, she helped publish some of what the CIA knew about the Russian attack on the 2016 presidential election. She held the perilous job of briefing Donald Trump in the Oval Office. She served as a Deputy Director of National Intelligence from 2019 to 2021. She's now a professor at the University of Maryland. Beth, how did you interpret what we learned about Russia's war plans? A lot of this was about blaming Ukraine for justifying the invasion, right? And so 
this idea that the Russians living in the Donbass were being persecuted and threatened. And you saw people on RT, Russian television, talking about genocide. And, you know, all of those things were really, really picking up. And so there was talk about, you know, some attack that they were going to try to liberate the Donbass. And so all of these things were happening and it seemed pretty clearly out of the Putin playbook. I think as Ukrainian President Zelensky said, if they're talking about other people doing it, they're probably doing it or thinking about doing it themselves. So I I think it was really remarkable, this disclosure and, and truly important. Lest we forget, eight years ago, Putin did exactly the same thing with a disinformation blitzkrieg before he attacked Ukraine, seized Crimea, and the eastern Donbass region. The Ukrainians are Nazis. They crucified children. They're building concentration camps. And the U.S. and NATO are behind it all. And they also bugged a telephone conversation between American diplomats And they put it out on the street, which is something I hadn't done in about 25 years. Yeah. And the U.S. had no response, no real response. Why not? Well, I think in 2014, the U.S. government had kind of lost the capacity that was built during the Cold War of participating in this sort of, I guess, information warfare is how you put it. Political warfare. We weren't doing political warfare. Yeah, fair. And I think in some cases, you know, we're just so surprised by Putin's actions. And I think for most of the experts this time around, they just weren't going to allow themselves to be surprised. And that's why the same people involved in many cases went on the offense this time. And I really applaud that. So this truth offensive, if you want to call it that, that CIA undertook back in February, that was quite surprising to a lot of us outsiders who have been looking at CIA, reporting on CIA, talking to CIA officers, going back decades. Another surprise was learning that Putin is arresting and jailing senior members of his intelligence service, the FSB. I think that, to me, there were three things that came out of it. One was these kinds of things, as soon as they happen, a security service goes, they start really looking around for how did this information get out? Who's telling? Is it a leak? Taking place. I can tell you that Putin has already begun to cannibalize his own regime in a very Stalinist manner. There are purges taking place. Kremlin. There's a Russian security services expert who's just speaking out saying Putin put two of his top intelligence officials under, quote, house arrest. I truly wonder the house arrest that we're hearing about of the head of the FSB and his deputy How much is related to that? How much is it related to the raids on what we have heard in the press about dozens of FSB officers? The second thing is that, you know, it really, I think, limited what Putin could do. And it's why we didn't see a big provocation. So to me, it made this war a lot more obvious that it was Putin's choice. And I think that third thing is that it means that Putin has to own this. And I think that's the big ramification here is that he couldn't hide behind some kind of provocation. He owns the blood in the streets in Ukrainian cities, and he owns the body bags going back to Russian mothers. 
More than 7,000 Russian troops killed in Ukraine since the invasion began, and that, they say, is a conservative estimate. When we return, we'll hear a report on the way the war is going from a man who once led the CIA's covert operations against Russia. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast i'm lauren sherman the writer behind puck's fashion and beauty memo line sheet and i'd like to welcome you to my new show fashion people on every episode of fashion people i'll be talking to insiders about the stuff we're all whispering between the press releases from MA rumors to celebrity stylist dish to the future of legacy media be sure to follow and listen to fashion people a presentation of odyssey in partnership with puck available on the free odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts as the war entered its second month the American and British spy services gave the world a deeper look into the battle. They reported bitter infighting at the Kremlin. They said Putin's spies and generals were afraid to tell him how the war was going. They saw Russian soldiers, short of weapons and fuel and low on morale, refusing to carry out orders, sabotaging their own equipment, shooting down their own airplanes over Ukraine. Mark Polymeropoulos, a CIA veteran, took all this in with satisfaction. Mark was the deputy chief for the CIA's covert operations in Russia and Europe four years ago. He went to Moscow, the Russians knew he was coming, and he was struck down in his hotel by an invisible weapon. The so-called Havana Syndrome has afflicted scores of American spies and diplomats. The strong suspicion surrounding these attacks is that they come from Putin's spy services, using beams of directed energy to inflict brain injuries. Mark still has bad headaches, but he's written a good book about lessons he learned over a quarter century as an intelligence officer at war called Clarity in Crisis. He was in a cheerful mood when we spoke. Mark, how's it going for the Russian army? What has surprised you about their performance? Well, it's, you know, to, to be frank, they got their ass kicked. 
I take a very keen interest in foreign affairs, certainly, but in how you look at foreign affairs from an intelligence officer, but also the intelligence community. So I think that you know we were really good at predicting, at assessing that the Russians would invade, likely because somehow we acquired the invasion plans. I think that's pretty clear. I don't know. But we weren't so good, frankly, about assessing the state, the, the readiness of the Russian military. You know, it's a giant Potemkin village. Their military is an awful state. And this is after we saw Russia conducting an incredible military modernization program where presumably the generals and, you know, people in power stole and, and plundered so much to the extent that the Russians have performed terribly. And then you throw in the fact that we've seen their, the Russian military in conflicts such as Chechnya, Georgia, and Syria. And so perhaps we had a false sense of their might because the things that they're falling apart on, just kind of basic logistics and, and resupply, it's pretty extraordinary. And so at the end of the day, I would say that, you know, Russia has proved itself not to be a great power. So the United States is not in the regime change business uh, when it comes to Russia. But do you think Putin's regime will change fundamentally as a consequence of this disastrous war? Could it lead to his downfall? My feeling has evolved over the last month on this. At first, I would have said absolutely not. Even when the Russians weren't doing well, I think, you know, my assessment is that this is changing for several reasons. The international community has rallied around, you know, Ukraine, A, but really rallied against Russia in an unprecedented fashion where even if Putin withdraws, and he won't, but if he withdrew his forces tomorrow, he's committed atrocious war crimes. Today, a growing number of world leaders, including President Biden, are calling for war crime investigations as Ukraine accuses Russia of killing more civilians. Ukraine's President Zelensky described the killings as concentrated evil. Russia is a pariah state now. You know, they're turning into North Korea. I think his rule at home is at some threat. Fundamentally, you're going to look at several key tripwires, I would call them. One is, what's the role of the security services? Well, there's a lot of reports coming out that the FSB is in some turmoil. Some senior FSB officers have been removed, and that is absolutely critical because that, this is the foundation of his regime. Second, you look at the oligarchs, and they're fleeing mostly to Israel, but they're leaving the country. And the last, and this will be you know, quite interesting to see, is the extent of popular discontent. Will people rise up on the street? Yeah, Aaron, I'm literally going to step out of the way of the camera right now because you can see three people here just being arrested. There isn't so much of a central protest here. These are, these are some ladies here that are in this central area of Moscow. While we've been here for the past 45 minutes, there's another person being dragged out of the subway here by his face. Obviously, it would take a lot of brave Russians to do something significant. And then kind of the last part of this is, and I said this from the beginning, and people can call me bloodthirsty. I'm certainly not a warmonger, but the only metric that matters is, is sending Russians home in body bags. and. By all accounts, the numbers are astounding. It's believed that they've lost more killed in action than, than we did in Iraq and Afghanistan combined. That's not going to go unnoticed. Generals who are being killed, that's not going to go unnoticed. It's a shock, although not a surprise, to see that Russian troops, after taking thousands of casualties and being beaten back from Kiev, have gone on the rampage, raping, looting, executing civilians. They've even mutinied and killed a few of their own commanders including a general or two. That's right. I love the information operations aspect of this. And when I say information operations, that's the ability of, of U.S., NATO, really the Ukrainians, to put forth the truth. And so the more we amplify what's actually occurring inside Ukraine, the casualty counts of Russian forces or 
the poor performance of Russian forces, or as you say, enlisted Russians killing their commanding officers. That's got to be amplified back into Russia for all to see. So these things matter in terms of what happens in the battlefield. It also matters in terms of what happens inside Russia and the extent that Putin can kind of keep going on this disastrous war. And the Cold War, you had Radio Free Europe, which was run by the CIA for a quarter of a century. You had Radio Liberty, which was specifically aimed at, at Russians. You had the U.S. Information Agency. You had all kinds of information operations. But today, how would the United States go about getting the truth to the Russian people? First of all, the truth is going to be our superpower. Let's just go with the kind of the fundamental notion, like in any operation, that you know we have to disseminate this. It has to be amplified. Now, Russia is in fact not North Korea yet. It is still relatively open. You know whether you use kind of VPNs or there's lots of different dissemination mechanisms. One of the things people were doing in you know several weeks ago, they were on, on restaurant reviews inside Russian, you know, in Moscow restaurants. They were actually writing about what was happening inside Ukraine. So there are ways to do this. There's ways to get around the frankly limited censorship that what the Russian government is doing. And so this is the exact kind of pressure we have to put on the regime. Getting the truth about the battle for Ukraine to the eyes and ears of Russians, that's a crucial part of this war. Gregory Sims has been thinking about how to do that. Greg served more than 30 years at the CIA, including as a station chief and deputy chief in Europe and the Near East. And after all those years in the Invisible War, he believes that open information, not secret operations, may be the path to victory. Some have said that the Russian people are, it's, it's too far gone. The propaganda, the drumbeat, over 20 years of propaganda and the isolation of them from independent sources of information since Putin came to power has really made it impossible to break through. I don't believe that. Putin has tried to firewall his country from the free flow of information to keep the Russian people in the dark. And he's done that with fear and force and to great effect. I mean, you can go to prison for calling the war a war. Well, I mean, fear can be effective. It's the foundation of all dictatorships. And I think people uh, are referring to Russia as an autocracy, but I think it's now safe to use the term dictatorship for Putin's regime. And that's a fundamental aspect of their governance is through fear. So you fight it with courage. You also fight it with anger. And that comes through information and also comes from experiencing a collapsed economy. Anger at Russian kids coming home and zinc coffins. People disappearing and not coming home at all. And these are pretty big numbers we're going to be talking about. I think people, their, their emotion will override the fear over time. And there's shame, you know, the shame of turning Ukrainian cities into rubble. The shame of being a pariah internationally. And the shame of the destruction of Russia's moral reputation. So I think fear is effective. But over time, and particularly if we can penetrate their information space with accurate information, I think Russians can be made to see what's actually happened and to, to do something about it. So, Greg, you recently published a piece in Politico that really, really raised my eyebrows because you wrote that ordinary people can join in the battle for Ukraine. You wrote, don't wait for your governments to do this for you. Do it yourself. Well, I mean, first of all, ordinary people have already profoundly influenced the battle for Ukraine. It's already happened. So there's been a real democratization in the collection of information, the collection and analysis, dissemination of information. And citizens are doing this now, and they've really exposed the false 
motivation the Russians had to starting this war. They really laid that bare. But what's not happened in this revolution is its penetration into Russia and to Russians themselves, their information bubble. If this is going to end, it's going to be Russians that'll have to be behind it. So either Putin's going to be sufficiently convinced of his failure and the consequences of continuation to stop himself. I'm doubtful that will happen. Or people around him are going to have to convince him to do so, or they're going to have to send him off into retirement. So the point is to reach out to Russians. There's a lot of blaming of Russians as a people for what's going on. And I've known enough Russians to know that they're like us. They have the same human aspirations as we do, but they've been subjected to this drumbeat of propaganda for 20 years. It's not going to be easy. I think the Russian diaspora can play a huge role in this. They know their countrymen. They are in touch with their countrymen. They have reach back. They have to themselves devise ways to get together, compare notes, compare contacts, and come up with ways to reach back to their countrymen in Russian voices. There have been anecdotal accounts of family members outside of Russia reaching out to their family back home, trying to tell them what's going on and, and meeting with disbelief, resistance. They don't, they don't buy it. You wrote that this is an effort not just to save Ukraine and the world, but to save Russia's soul. What would success look like? I think success in that instance would be when Russians themselves take the measures that are needed to end this war. And they can look back, and it wasn't something that was imposed upon them, but something that they did on their own. It's something they have to do. There's no other way it can happen, because we're not going to. Again, we're not going to, NATO's not going to march on Moscow and depose the government. So the change is going to have to come from inside. When we come back, we'll hear how America might recruit Russian spies and power brokers as allies in political warfare. Russia, like America, has three branches of government. There's Putin, the oligarchs, and the Siloviki, the power brokers in Russia's military and spy services. Two of them are under direct attack by America and its allies. Twenty Russian oligarchs have been sanctioned since the invasion of Ukraine began. I say to the Russian oligarchs and the corrupt leaders, who built billions of dollars off this violent regime, no more. We're joining with European allies to find and seize their yachts, their luxury apartments, their private jets. Economic sanctions have hit the oligarchs hard. Foreign governments are seizing the ill-gotten gains of their wealth and freezing their bank accounts. And in Russian embassies around the world, Scores of spies posing as diplomats have been publicly outed and ousted from their posts. Outside the Russian embassy in Stockholm, an immigration law firm just put up a billboard addressed to them. It says, Find it hard to go to work? Feeling shame at the end of the working day? Soon, it will be too late to escape. Get in touch with us to learn how to get political asylum. Coffee's on us. Douglas London sees a world of opportunity here. He's a 34-year CIA veteran who served as a chief of station and a case officer across Asia, Africa, and the Middle East. His specialty was recruiting foreigners to spy for America. And his new book, logically, is called The Recruiter, Spying 
and the lost art of American intelligence. So, Doug, there's some spring cleaning going on at Russian embassies in the United States and and all over Europe. What's going on? It's interesting to see the expulsion of so many alleged intel officers. It's a bit of a double-edged sword. If you succeeded at identifying intelligence officers who are undercover, normally you want to keep them where they are. It gives you an opportunity to study them, identify what they're doing, perhaps expose their agent networks and compromise them. But of course, there's a political advantage of expelling them in terms of the backlash and and how the world sees what Russia is doing. Now, Doug, it's been said that an intelligence officer who smells flowers looks around for a funeral. However, you see a bright, shining silver lining in the disaster that is this war, don't you? It's a predatory business recruiting human sources. And rather than smelling the flowers, a good case officer smells the blood in the water where there is opportunity. And what Putin has done by basically compromising the last 30 years of Russian economic, political, military, and security advances by compromising the economy, by waging such a brutal war against a Slavic neighbor is going to provide a great deal of inspiration and interest in those who don't agree with him to take some sort of action. And one of the best ways for them to take action is cooperating with Western intelligence services. We certainly saw this during the Cold War. The best CIA agents were volunteers. Some were recruited, but many of them had come to their own conclusion. They usually felt some affront to them as a Russian or a member of one of the other republics or had their family members suffer at the hands of the Soviet Union because they saw it as an illegitimate and corrupt regime. Their loyalty was to Russia. I believe that's the case today. I I believe that we will see an opportunity of perhaps volunteers or those who will be more receptive to being approached by Western intelligence to stand up and do something about what they see. Without betraying any trade secrets, Let's say you are a CIA officer in, oh, let's say Vienna or Belgrade or Warsaw. How exactly do you hang out a help wanted sign (laughs) to attract a potential Russian to come to work for the United States? The key to basically anyone who lives in a police state, an autocratic state where their best friends, their relatives could be informers, is they're looking for discretion. They're looking for trustworthiness. One wants to reflect discretion. So contact is usually best initiated outside of the public eyes, maybe at venues where one can make contact that the Russian doesn't have to report it. You certainly wouldn't, under these circumstances, want to really spend a lot of time with a Russian at a big diplomatic reception where all their other colleagues are staring and thinking, why is, you know, Sergei talking to that American from the embassy? But in fact, the ability to to show some discretion when you do bump into such contacts from Russia and and other such states is usually remembered. And we've found sometimes among volunteers or even agents we've recruited, they start suspecting who the American intel officers are, and they start determining in their own mind and assessing for themselves, is this someone I could trust? Is this someone that I could approach? Or is, is this someone who makes a discreet approach to me? outside of prying eyes that I'd be receptive to. 
So it's really about that trust and disarming their naturally appropriate conspiratorial concern that everybody's watching them and everybody's reporting on them. The majority of the Russian cases, the Soviet cases before those, were people who I believe were patriots, who were Russian nationalists, who were loyal to their country and their history, but who despised the corrupt regime and the harm that leaders like Putin were doing to their nation. It was a field day for CIA when the Berlin Wall came down, correct? Times were good. Yeah, I was there at the time. Do you foresee a field day like this now? So I would say there are some parallels going on, but I wouldn't say it's precisely the same. In some ways, it's better because there are those now seeing which direction things are going for themselves in Russia. Things are not going to get better. Things are likely to get worse. And if you do not agree with the direction that Putin is taking and you're working in the national security apparatus of the Russian Federation, you might be thinking, how do I protect myself? How do I contribute to opposing this man without getting myself killed by protesting on the streets? So I think there's a lot going underneath the surface that will allow for opportunities or recruitments of additional sources. The CIA and the American intelligence community hit a rare bullseye in the run-up to the war. But they got something dead wrong. They overestimated the Russians' will to fight, and they underestimated the will of the Ukrainians. It's an old story. In Vietnam, the Americans dramatically misread the will of the enemy and the will of their allies. The same thing happened in Iraq and in Afghanistan. In the Cold War, American generals and intelligence chiefs saw the Russian military as 10 feet tall. It wasn't true, and it isn't true today. As we've seen, the Russian army has terrible leaders, terrible logistics, and terrible control of its troops. Putin and his generals told their commanders and their conscripts that the Ukrainians were Nazis and they, the Russians, were an army of liberation. It was a lie, and soldiers fighting for a lie are doomed to die. They can destroy a village, but not a people. In time, their will to fight will melt away. In the next episode of Whirlwind, we'll look into Vladimir Putin's empire of lies and how his lies about Ukraine are spread by powerful Americans, including the former president of the United States. For now, we'll leave you with the Ukrainian national anthem. Its opening line is, Ukraine's freedom is not dead yet. And that is what the people of Ukraine are fighting for, their freedom. This episode has been a presentation of C-13 Originals, a Cadence 13 studio. Executive produced by Chris Corcoran, Chief Content Officer and Founding Partner of Cadence 13. Written and narrated by me, Tim Weiner, and based in part on my latest book, The Folly and the Glory, America, Russia, and Political Warfare. Directed by Lloyd Lockridge of Cadence 13. Edited and produced by Andy Jaskowitz of Cadence 13. Research and production support by Ian Mont of Cadence 13. Cadence 13 is an odyssey company.
They said it couldn't be done. They say it bordered on impossible. When someone says I can't do something, I usually agree with them. <laughs> and now, against all odds, this completely mediocre comedy podcast has done the unthinkable. They got listeners. We got listeners. No way. Amazing. Now available on the Odyssey app or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm so happy we're at Odyssey now. Oh my God, they're amazing. The Commercial Break Podcast. You heard it here last.